Hey, welcome to Brass Taxes. I'm Caroline Craighead, and in today's episode, I'm actually going to hand it over to our good friend, Russ Garofalo, the founder of the company, for his interview with a Brass Taxes client who has his own podcast called Sex Work. That's work with an E and three R's. And sex, like sex. You know, sex, right? Anyway, before we do that, I got to remind you that we have a promo code, very special just for you, our listeners. If you need to get your taxes done, head on over to BrassTaxes.com, create an account, fill out the form, and then when it comes time to book your appointment, use the code POD25. If you're a new client, that'll get you a $25 discount. Not bad. All right, so now for Russ's interview with Tomic 2.0. Like many folks who trust Brass Taxes to take care of them at tax time, Tomic does a number of things for work. He's been a hairdresser since 2004. He's also the publisher of a print magazine called Fag Rag Fire Island, which is an LGBTQ fine art magazine and a resource guide serving the communities of Fire Island Pines and Cherry Grove, New York. He's also tried his hand at several manners of sex work and is the host of the podcast, Sex Work. Tomic invited Russ to come on his podcast as a guest to talk about taxes, and we figured, well, let's have him on ours to talk about sex work. So we recorded one big, long interview in which they ask questions of each other. So if you're looking for the conversation to continue after this episode ends, don't worry. There's more where this came from. And you should follow Tomic's podcast, Sex Work, to catch it when it comes out. Without further ado, I'll now bid you adieu and leave you with Russ and Tomic for what is undeniably our sexiest interview yet. Enjoy. So I actually found Brass Taxes a couple of years ago. I found it, um, of all places, on Rent Boy. Um, I had an ad listed up there, and at the time they had a service called Rent University. And it was kind of like education for sex workers. And I saw something that was like, we want to teach you how to do your taxes. And, you know, I had lived in New York for several years by then, and, you know, I had multiple streams of income and it just seemed too overwhelming to me to figure out how to account for all of this you know it was easier back when i was younger and i could like file the 1040 easy it was literally easy um and i saw that ad and i was like oh wow this kind of sounds like something that would be useful for me i'm gonna go check it out and um i went over to the class and you were there and brass taxes like um, gave a really amazing class, I guess, or workshop. And I ended up taking a card at the end of the class. And I was like, all right, I'm going to use them. So question, where was the line drawn to Rent Boy? Like, how did you go from, you know, we're working with artists and, you know, freelancers to let's yeah. talk to sex workers. Yeah, totally. Um, a woman who had done financial planning uh, for very wealthy people reached out to me and she was like, I've been doing some pro bono work with sex workers. Like, would you, uh, I guess she's, you know, saw some of our stuff around Brooklyn or something. She's like, would you be interested in working with sex workers? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. Like I, I, you know, part of what offended me about when I learned my taxes were wrong was the idea that if I was, if I was rich, I could have gotten good advice. Like if I was somebody else, 
I wouldn't be in, I I wouldn't have had to deal with this particular situation. And and mm-hmm. I think that that idea just offends just my sense of equality. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I I like that the IRS says, hey, we don't care what you do. You have to pay us. You know, it's like a mafia. They're like, we don't, we don't have, <laughs> it's not a moral thing. You made money, pay us. Right. And in learning that the IRS would have considered my writing and performing a business thing, even though I wasn't at that time considering it a business thing because I wasn't making a profit. I liked mm-hmm. that idea that I was validated once I learned the rules by, hey, these are the rules to be a valid business in the IRS's, in the IRS's eyes. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to be a comfortable place where people could speak freely. And I always said, like, as long as it's two consenting adults, I don't care. Like you have mm-hmm. to pay taxes. We're going to help you. There's no judgment. Like we're just here to advocate and give you a sense of, uh, uh, a sense of having an advocate on your side and somebody who's going to give you, you know, high touch advice without having to pay a lot of money for that advice. So I've always tried to keep our price points in something I thought was reasonable for for people who would otherwise just not know about any sort of tax preparation or just use TurboTax or something. And mm-hmm. so I can be comfortable saying that, hey, I think we'll save you more than we cost or we'll stop you from doing something you might regret. And we also provide the knowledge and comfort of understanding what's going on, which I think is not quantitative, but makes a big difference if you feel comfortable at the end. Even if you owe $7,000, at least you know that that's real. Right, totally. And obviously, when people are talking to you, there's no kind of like, you know, it's not like having attorney privilege where whatever you disclose is private. But, you know, the advantages that if someone is talking to you, they're less likely to get probably called on by the IRS than if they are someone with no knowledge trying to do taxes and messing it up, for for instance, right? Right. I think part of the value of seeing a tax preparer is very often people just want to know that they're not pay overpaying taxes. So some people's response, and I, I remember the the talk I did at Rentboy that I responded directly to the because I was getting a series of questions of like, how much money do I have to report to not get in trouble? And I was like, you know, and I, I remember just stopping things and being like, I totally understand the motivation and the that feeling. Like I have the same like game playing aspect of my brain where I'm like, tell me the rules and I'll hack them to my needs. Um, but something like like that's where a tax preparer who understands your industry and you feel comfortable talking to can be really valuable because I would encourage someone don't not report income, but let's focus on expenses because not reporting income, you're in tax evasion felony world. But like being aggressive on expenses is a tax position that's legal. So right. we can we can get we can help you reach your goals in a way that limits your risk and liability and potential blowback if shit hits the fan. Totally. Um, And that's something that I, you know, that's also something I kind of um, have experience with just in hairdressing because hairdressers are always like, well, you know, all of our services are on paper, 
you know, usually if you work for a salon that is paying you like a commission or something like that, but all of our tips are cash and it's like, I have to, don't have to claim the tips, you know, but I think as, you know, someone who lives in New York, my thought was always like, I'm going to claim everything because I'm not getting any younger and I eventually want to like, you know, own and even just to rent in New York, like you have to show that you have like 40, I think it's like 40 to 45 times the amount that the rent is, you know, if you, you know, want to even just get a room or your own place and, you know, a bitch can't always be trying to, you know, you know, look on Facebook and see if a friend has something that I can slide into or like, you know, try to have a guarantor, which is not an option for me or for a lot of people. Um, so I was just like, I'm going to keep track of everything and I'm going to claim everything and I'm just going to pay the taxes. Yeah. I, I think you bring up a really good point that like, there's like, as, as shitty as it feels to send, you know, to write a big check for your taxes, there's also an upside to joining that adult system and like all the the way that machine works is like all of a sudden like you have good credit like you can get a better mortgage you can rent an apartment more easily and i, I think part of us you know will just avoid making that bump into that world where like you know it, it feels good to fly under that radar but i've definitely seen people who are like in their 40s and flying under the radar and it's like you know at some point i you know, I, I think it's, we have to decide, like, it, if I'm self-employed now, like, is this going to be my life? And, and very likely it's going to continue to be part of your life. And so rather than like rolling the dice on flying under the radar every year, I'd rather just give people the, the knowledge they need to, to know what's coming or to like, you know, I always just tell people to just, as long as you know, roughly how much money you're going to owe. And then you just got to start setting aside that money. You got to realize that not all that money is yours. And, right. and then as long as you know it's coming and it's not like a, oh my God, like slap in the face moment, it's like, then it's not that bad. I mean, it's, it's not great, but you know, it's, it's not going to mess up your life if you knew it was coming like a year ago and you've just been preparing yeah. for it. So I like to encourage people to like, you know, some stuff, you just got to be an adult be responsible, learn to do and suck it up, you know, and, and just to cover your own ass. So like, you don't have to worry about this stuff. Cause I think if we are flying under the radar, it's not like we don't think about it once in a while of like, Oh shit. If you get this stuff wrong, it can be such, it can screw up your life so bad for years. Like all of a sudden you're like Lauren Hill, you wanted to be done singing and you're, mm -hmm. you're, you're back out on tour cause you owe the IRS $2 million. Like, yeah. and there's no other way to make $2 million than sell out a tour. So, you know, it, I, I really, I describe this stuff as like, we just have to learn it and mm -hmm. deal with it. Cause if you don't deal with it, it's, it can, it, it impacts your freedom. It impacts your freedom to do what you want when you want and make choices in your life. Because like, if you owe, the, owe a bunch of money, like now you're just taking whatever pays the most. Um, right. And these conversations are absolutely not being had mm -hmm. in the sex worker space like at all and especially as lockdown hit and i think you know i saw something because new york times did a an article on OnlyFans and the surge you know people didn't have you know places to turn for money and they turned to you know opening up a new page and then you know the amount of uh users new users that surged the website you know there's all these people who are making all this money and you know these conversations are not being had about what to do with it or how to handle it yeah i i think 
on every new platform as it becomes a viable business like TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, like these fan sites, like something about its newness makes it feel like it's magic money. Or this might be the first pl platform where you made a bunch of money. You know, you, you might have like been starting to get your feet under you on like Vine or something. Suddenly TikTok comes off and you're making a bunch of money. And like until it gets to the end of the year, you don't realize like you've been involved in a a, you've been running a business for a year mm -hmm. and yeah. like did you you know like the 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 worst case is like when it's a young person who just made a bunch of money for the first time because it's like you know if you just if you're used to living on you know 15 grand a year and suddenly you're making 150,000 a year it's not like you're setting aside 30,000 for taxes like no that's why i'm so glad this did not exist when i was like 18 god <laughs> i think about that all the time i'm like all this stuff that's around right now for all these kids and stuff like that you know like oh my god i would have made so much money when i was 18 if i had an only fans <laughs> but i would have i would have um, like wasted it and like not done any of the right things with it and ended up in like so much trouble and have absolutely nothing to show for it right now even if it existed when i was 18 i would you would never know i, I can guarantee that there have been a couple of points that have gotten me thinking, including um, this one TikTok that I saw, you know, coming up constantly on Twitter mm -hmm. from, um, you know, a TikTok evangelist. <laughs> no, his name is Rich.Convo on TikTok, and uh, he's an accountant. He has almost a million subscribers, I think, but 900,000 or something like that. Um, and he did this TikTok specifically for OnlyFans creators that got shared like a million times. And he was telling them to um, form an S-Corp because it's going to give you less tax liability. You can save a lot of money if you do that. And I wonder if you had any thoughts around that. Yeah, I, I watched his, um, I watched that TikTok and I... Um he's right for some people. Um, what I don't like about it and that I caution people against is like whenever financial people are tapping on your greed or fear button, like just like take, take a moment and pause. Mm -hmm. I felt like he pitched it like it was, I mean, he has a million followers. That's insane. Like he's talking to so many people at once and he just told all of them they should do the same thing because they'll all be better off. And it's, right. and it's, he's not wrong about some specific, like about some circumstances, but like, that's a very different situation. Like if you live in New York city, like I ran the numbers, you're going to owe almost $9,000 to New York city that he left out of his equation. Oh, okay. Just, just based on the city alone. Right. New York's yeah. New York city doesn't acknowledge S corporations. So you're going to pay general, general corporation tax to New York City. So that's 9000 bucks, And then you also have to pay a payroll company because you become an employee of your S corporation and you're not going to do your payroll taxes by yourself. Right. You have to pay, you're paying yourself basically. Yeah. You're paying yourself as an employee and a stockholder. I feel like a lot of tax people and like attorneys and like all those things, like they shit on everybody else and be like, oh, I know everything. Everybody else is stupid. So I don't want to like come across mm -hmm. like that. I felt like the fact that he said all that in 34 seconds was great. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but like he, he glossed, like he didn't discuss like 
right now as a freelancer, like you don't pay income tax on 20% of your profit, roughly. That's called that was part of the the Trump tax changes. So like mm. that wasn't in the equation. And if you live in New York City, you have those eight thousand eight hundred and fifty dollars in taxes to New York City. And then you have to, you know, it's going to cost you five hundred dollars to pay a payroll company and a thousand dollars to do your tax return. And then on top of all that, there's the time you're going to spend doing all that stuff, unless you're paying somebody else to do that for you too. So right. I so I, if if you're making oh if you're making you know a significant amount of money, it's probably worth looking into but just make sure right, you know totally, you're looking totally. at all of the kind of like yeah. local and if it's something that you feel like is going that you're you know going to continue doing in the long run and you know want to invest the time and energy that it takes to have this kind of business entity then that might yeah. be something you want to consider yeah absolutely i i think if you're in the income levels he's talking about and even potentially a little bit lower um mm -hmm. but if you're saying like the a hundred thousand dollars in profit so after expenses, yeah, it's the kind of thing you should you should look into and could potentially be valuable to you. But you should have a real talk with someone who you know you feel comfortable talking to about like, are you actually you know I've I've done this for people and come down to be like, well, you're gonna it's gonna save you four thousand bucks based on where you live, and and I'm like, but you have to do a gut check. Are you gonna hate this? Right. Like 4,000 bucks sounds cool. If someone's like, do you want 4,000 bucks or not want 4,000 bucks? Everybody's like, I'll take it. But if it's going to take you, you know, 40 hours during the year, well, mm -hmm. now your hourly rate is not as good. And you're not, those right. aren't just like 40 hours of just chilling. Those are like, you're going to spend that time like with annoying numbers. Yeah. yeah. And shit you hate doing. So right. it, it becomes like a, there's a cost benefit of, you know, I, I think a lot of this industry really markets to greed or fear. And, and so I, I, I think that's initially what it's just a quick way. That's like classic marketing. You can grab people's attention. If you're like, Hey, don't be a chump. If you're mm -hmm. not doing this, you're a sucker. Like, mm -hmm. and it, we also have to keep in mind that like, okay, cool. I don't want to be a sucker. I don't want to like pay $400 for something I could have gotten for a hundred dollars. But it's also, there's often another side where it's like, how much time do you want to devote to saving, you know, X amount of money? It, it, it changes right. like, you know, I don't think myself included and most of our clients, we're not looking to like hack our finances. Like we don't want to spend all day thinking about our finances, even if it can make us a little bit more money. Um, I think we want to, you know, mostly take care of things, get in the like 90%, 95% optimize the situation. And then at that point we're like, whatever, like I'm not going right. to spend another 50% of my time to get that last 5%. So uh, do the cost benefit analysis and see if this is something that might work for you. And if it's something that you want to invest the time in, and if that time is worth the maybe marginal amount of money that you might be saving. Yeah, it could be a it could be a lot, or it could be a couple thousand dollars, and you have to learn all this stuff. And the other part of that is in that next year, like let's say OnlyFans gets taken down, or mm -hmm. your main income stream gets taken down, and the next year you go from making one hundred and forty thousand to forty thousand. You right. still have a tax return. You might still have payroll company. And mm -hmm. you still have some of these carrying costs 
Like those don't go away just because the big income went away. And now you have to do something with that S Corp. You either have to kill it or just keep it going and think maybe it'll be valuable in the future. So it's just not so blanket a statement as I thought he was making. But I mean, it's a TikTok video and he's giving tax advice. So right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> can, you, can you talk a little bit about the, the different, um, even just the different arrangements of sex work? Like, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know that, um, you know, there, there are sometimes monthly payments coming in where the, you know, the people I was working with would be like, I might not see them. Mm-hmm. Like these are just standing, standing payments. Um, yeah. you know, there's such just, and, and now with the technology, yeah. If you could just talk a little bit about the, the different, um, arrangements, like whether they're like transactional for a service or whether they're just standing ongoing payments or, you know, and then also just like stuff like OnlyFans and yeah, I think there's mm-hmm. just like new worlds opening up. Yeah, definitely. You know, so for me, my experience has in sex work has been, you know, doing massage, escorting, having, um, you know, pages open on fan platforms. And um, yeah, I think that's mostly been it. I, I wouldn't count go-go dancing. <laughs> Sometimes I guess it depends on where it is. Um, yeah, you know, there's, um, it's just like for you, you know, how you said, like, you all charge more when it's, you know, closer to April or something. I think it's very similar with um, with sex work that's going to be in-person sex work. There's high seasons, there's low seasons, for sure. And I think those can vary depending on where you live, you know. Um, and with fan platforms, it is, you know... So there's several plat- fan platforms that are popular. There's OnlyFans, there's Just for Fans, there's For My Fans, there's Many Vids, and there's another one called AVN Stars, which is owned by the AVN Network Adult Video Network. Um, they just started their own. And a lot of them let you choose how you get paid out, you know? So basically you can set a subscription, you know, your page is a subscription model. And people can, you know, it's like, it's like Instagram, except you pay to follow somebody, right? So Mm -hmm. if you have someone that you really like, you can go and see, you know, the performers get to set their own rate. um, And the platform pays you a certain percentage of whatever you charge. And typically that's 70 to 80%. I think many vids might do 90%. um, But, you know, you kind of want to be where, um, where the money reside, where the money reside. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You want to be where people already have um, subscriptions and have their card like in the, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the platform. So OnlyFans is the most popular one you get. um, And you, you don't also just, you don't also just get money from the subscriptions. People are able to tip you. So if they tip you, you get 80% of that. You can charge for private messages that you send out. You get 80% of that. Um, and you can also determine how often you want to be paid. You can either set your payments to manual, you can set them to weekly, or you can set them to monthly. I've gotten out of like in-person stuff, you know, I don't massage or escort anymore. Um, and I, you know, I still have fan pages, um, but, you know, it's something I was thinking about and I was um, talking about with some friends the other day. It's just that like, I, I love having you know like a page up like i had xtube way before there was like only fans and i was putting stuff up there for free just because i like to put stuff up and i was like oh wait i can get paid for it now and i i envision you know like way down the line if i have you know 
not talking about sex work, but it's like some some type of successful, really successful business. And I'm making a million dollars. Like I'll probably still have a OnlyFans page just because I really, you know, like mm-hmm. to have it. Um, and I like to put stuff up. Like right now I have a page that, you know, I just made it. I just have a, a free page where, you know, I'll charge for some things if I, you know, if I want to. What I like about having a free page, because when you have a free page, you can charge for individual posts, right? I like posting, you know, just kind of like sexy stuff. Um, and, but the thing about having a free page is that I feel like I'm not obligated to post like a certain amount of times a month, you know, mm-hmm. like if I have a slow month. I don't have to be like, oh God, everybody's going to unsubscribe because I only posted twice. You know, it's like yeah. if I have a free page and I put up one video for that month and I just charge for that video, you have it. And I'm not in my head about like, oh, I need to, I need to be trying to figure out where the next video is going to come from. Um, so in the future, I feel like I want to direct last summer. I did a, a video where I just made out with this one guy and, um, and that was it. We were completely clothed and, um, and I posted it and people loved it, you know, because they're like, oh, wow, you don't get to see like intimacy, especially like with, you know, content for males. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, maybe that's what I'll do from now on. Maybe I'll just do makeout videos. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Where it's like, you're, you're coming in different just as like yeah. the like oh we we can show you something else yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so there's uh, always stuff i'm thinking about that and like trying to bring you know my own artistic self to it and really just also understanding that at the end of the day the only person who really cares about all this shit is me i'm like why do i even edit these videos guys don't even care if you edit videos you can throw up the fucking raw video from your um <laughs> cell phone and nobody cares and here i am on like adobe premiere pro like trying to like get transitions <laughs> and like title cards and shit like that like because that's just who i am and i just can't throw up you know like <laughs> yeah yeah it's a different world of like video and what what people are after yeah um, can you talk a little bit about how you got started in, in sex work yeah I'll tell you when I really got started that I had kind of dabbled in it a little bit when I lived in Atlanta, um, almost 10 years ago. Um, and I remember I was just like, I had just, (laughs) I was doing hair and I had just changed salons and I, you know, I was building up a clientele and I just remember there was like times where I was just cutting it really close, just money wise for like rent bills and all this stuff. And I was just like, all right, you know, I've, you know, heard about these, you know, websites and stuff. And I remember you know, looking up Rent Boy and I was like, oh, wow. I saw all these familiar faces. Like, oh, hey, I didn't know they did that. <laughs> um, oh, and I was oh, like, that was right, So you actually realized, oh, I do know sex workers. I just didn't know I knew mm-hmm. sex workers. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So I, I went through like every single page. After I, saw, after I saw one person, I went through like every single page. I was like, oh my God, who else is on here? You know? Um, <laughs> and then I ended up, um, creating a profile and I you know at the time it was like no face profile because I remember thinking like oh I don't want people to notice me you know um so I did that and you know I wasn't very busy but it helped out a little bit you know and I had no idea like how to make you know I remember like if I think back to that first profile I'm like oh my god I can't believe I had that up there how anybody decided to call me it just looked like you know I don't know not good you Um, didn't know how to market yet Oh my God, you have to be a copywriter. You have to be a photographer. Yeah. You have to be a model. You have to like, yeah. you know, know all of these things. Um, I felt the and, same way after like year three on dating profiles. 
where I was uh-huh. like online dating. You're just like, now I look at them and I like miss using those skills where I was like, it took me so long to figure this stuff out. Right. Like when to be funny, what kind of photos to show, what like. Like you uh, practically have to do like a B test. <laughs> like, wait, this one sentence actually got me out. <laughs> that one back up there. Um, so yeah, I was doing that. And, um, at the time I had like started, um, a fashion magazine in Atlanta also. And I was like young and I was really kind of like eager about, I don't know, I was like one of those like little kids with fashion. And, <laughs> and, um, it was just like a local thing, but it actually started taking off. You know, I had a, I had a fashion blog that was popular and then I was like, all right, I'm going to turn this into a magazine. And I applied for credentials to um, London fashion week, the men's collections. And they got approved. And I was like, holy shit, credentials approved. And all of these, you know, invites start coming in to like all of these shows and designers who I've like, you know, just been watching forever. Um, so I booked a round trip ticket to London. I had a friend there who said I could stay with him and I went to London and, um, you know, I was planning to come back to Atlanta because my lease was going to be ending and I was going to come back and pack up and like move and all this stuff and um, got to London and all these things started happening that made it seem like I might need to stay here. I feel like the universe is telling me that I need to stay here. I was like out one day and I met this guy who like loved my hair. Like at the time I had like this blonde mohawk, like I looked like a treasure troll. And he was like, oh, my God, I love your hair. And I was like, thanks. I'm a hairdresser. Um, and I gave him my card and he invited me to the salon, which I don't know why I even went. if I was just visiting for two weeks. But, you know, it was a beautiful salon, like walking distance like to the palace, like it was in St. James's Park. And um, he was like, I love your work because I had a website up. And he's like, I really want you to work here. He was like, I would be willing to, you know, like pay you cash under the table. And I was like, I'm just visiting. Like, I'm, I'm not working here. I don't, I'm, this is a beautiful salon. Thank you. And he was like, you, you should think about it. You know, he's like, I have all of these, you know, he said he had, you know, rooms or flats that he like rented out also. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to think about it. And I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So I put a, not an ad, but on my grinder profile, I put seeking room. And I found this cool guy who had a room available for super cheap. And then I decided to stay. And when I decided to stay, it was kind of like, what the fuck did I just, uh, you know, (laughs) agree to, right? Um, And the exchange rate in London at the time was double that of what it was in the United States. So every time I took out a 20 pound note, it was $40 out of my bank account. And I, you know, hadn't started working. And I knew that once I got to the salon, it was going to be, you know, you know, same process again of building up clients. Not like it wasn't a salon that was like, 100% booked all the time you know so I was like all right well let me try putting up you know let me try putting up an ad here um so I did I put up several and my phone was ringing off the hook I have never been more busy than I was when I was in London I was like you know what waiter I will be putting cheese on that burger thank you um and uh yeah, everything was, I was like at the salon and I started dating this guy who was at the salon and I was making so much money from escorting that I wanted to quit the salon, you know? And I was telling my boyfriend at the time, he was just like, you can't, you can't quit, you know? People are going to be like, how the fuck is he making money, you know? <laughs> um, so 
that's when I really got into it. And that's when I really started learning about like, you know, um, a lot of the ins and outs that I wasn't privy to in Atlanta. Um, so and it kind of just kind of continued from there. Cause after I left London, I ended up staying in London for six months and it made me realize that I wanted to be in a big city. So I, um, came back and packed up all my shit in Atlanta and I moved to New York and um new york is a place that you know is also you have to have multiple streams of income and i decided that that was still going to be one of them so i got me another job in a salon that i liked but you know um i think i think the first year in the salon it was like i made i don't know forty thousand dollars or something like that and it just was like you know i was living with my boyfriend from london he came back over with me and we were splitting you know we had a room together in hell's kitchen our room, just the room was $1,800. And um, <laughs> welcome, welcome to New York. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was just like, yeah, I have to, you know, I, I have to keep doing this. And I was making almost the same amount, you know, from doing sex work. So it was just kind of like a no brainer, you know? And um, yeah, that's kind of like been on this ride ever since. Yeah. I think, um, uh, when the economy slumped in, in 2008 um, and I, I started to get a little bit involved in like Occupy Wall Street, it, it you know, there, there's a lot of like people using the buzzwords of like the gig economy and like mm-hmm. talking about it, like it, parts of it were new, but parts of it are like that, like it, it's, it's just people figuring out a way to get by and um yeah, like the more I've talked to sex workers and strippers or dancers or basically anybody who's self-employed, it's like you're always kind of like figuring out like how am I going to make this work? And that, you know, the, the more you hear people like you talk about it, you're like it's just another, it's just another way of leveraging like the the assets and stuff that we have. Like people who drive for Uber and Lyft are people with cars looking to leverage their car or like if you have an extra space in your house like you rent it out for airbnb Mm -hmm. and you know we so many of our clients are just piecemealing together this like well this i'm doing these four things and it works for me yeah or if you have a fat ass you take pictures of it and put it online for people to pay for yeah i can i can get paid for that (laughs) so cool (laughs) i'm a model great yeah yeah i i think as much as you can you want to look at like how early in the process can i separate my business world and my personal world and so it can be really helpful to have a separate bank account or a separate credit card that you just use for for work stuff and that'll just make it so there's less places you have to look at the end of the year right like i don't don't have a separate calendar but i change the color on whatever event it is so that i know this is specifically an event or you know yeah sex work related all of that is red Red and sexy. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I, when I first learned about taxes, I just, I, I started a spreadsheet and was like, oh, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be organized now. I'm going to be that kind of person. I'm going to be a spreadsheet person. And it lasted like two weeks or something. Mm-hmm. And then I would like go have a coffee with, you know, somebody who would like help me with work stuff. And I'd be like, I'm not going to save this receipt. Like it's $3. I don't give a shit. Like in the moment, $3 isn't a big deal. But when you realize over the course of a year, you're going to spend $3 a thousand times. So when you look back at the end of the year, you're going to remember buying like a new computer, but you're not going to remember, you know, your cup of coffee and 
right. yeah your masking tape like this weird flavored okay. lube somebody wanted I actually wrote mm -hmm. down my um a sample of my list of expenses yeah all right so let's see here advertising fees that included massage and escort websites and there was a time when i was definitely spending at least a thousand dollars every single month on advertising fees uh rental fees because i worked out of a massage studio that charged for you know by the hour when you rented the room Personal website fees, Squarespace, hosting, um, email marketing list, um, medical, getting tested and getting treated, um, ring lights, condoms, lube, toys, transportation, aka planes, trains, and automobiles, including Lyft, Uber, and the subway, phone bill, clothing that was purchased specifically for work. I've... Um, went through the whole process and you all literally saved me thousands of dollars compared to whatever the fuck I put into the H&R Blocks website. <laughs> um, you know, it made me for sure see the benefit in having someone help me, you know, do my taxes, especially when, you know, I do something um, that, you know, is probably kind of unorthodox when you're trying to figure out expenses and, you know, concerned about a lot of things. Um, you know, I felt like I was able to talk to him candidly, especially because of the, you know, my experience in finding you all with Rent Boy and stuff like that. And I, I think I, I put it somewhere. I don't know. But I just felt like um, it was cool just to be able to, you know, talk openly and go through everything and not feel judged or anything like that. You know, there's lots of value in that. So, I mean, I, I think that's just such a big barrier, not being able to talk openly or comfortably about um about what you do you know and I, I think part of that is like the person you're talking to has to be comfortable about what you do because definitely we need to we need to know like what's your day-to-day -day? like what are you spending money on like how do you get there how does it you know there's there's such different arrangements um are there other areas or is it particularly like in financial areas where it becomes a barrier to like you getting you know the services you need and the quality of service that you deserve to, to not be able to have those conversations openly. Um, well, you know, I think for sure there's definitely like um, a protection factor, you know, there's one who can I talk to about this, who's going to be like open and receptive and non-judgmental. And there's also like, who can I talk to about this? Who is not going to be weirded out, you know, or, you know, for some people, if you're doing something that might be risky, it's not going to say anything, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think ta taxes is like one of those things where I just never imagined being able to, you know, talk to someone just about the day-to-day -day and the expenses. Like, you heard the, you know, my list of expenses, like condoms and lube. Like, where else does that, <laughs> you know, where else can I, like, read that off to someone and you know get that figured in there um yeah you know yeah, and have them just be like yep yeah exactly yeah yep. talking about your money is more taboo than talking about sex but just like the correlation that both of them are taboo um can you talk a little bit about uh why you wanted to start a podcast about sex work and and, and what it's what yeah. it's done done for you and how it feels yes you know i really wanted to start it because i felt like um for one i wanted to give people who don't have any proximity to sex workers the opportunity to be able to 
hear from sex workers and hear who they are and hear what they do and be like, wow, you know, they're just like a normal person. They're, <laughs> I could be friends with them, you know, and uh, they're not doing anything that is, you know, coerced. They're not in some sex trafficking scheme. Everything that they're doing is voluntary and they are happy and they are enjoying themselves. So who am I to judge? I wanted to open that door because um, I think a lot of times when you see the one thing that really frustrated me that I would see online a lot of times, especially in the gay community, is when something serious would show up. You know, maybe it's like a news story or something it's like pretend it's maybe let's just say, for instance, out.com or the advocate and then they post a news story about something serious. And you see someone who is like, you know, a sex worker commenting on it. And it's like people all in the thread underneath it. It's just like, shut up and stick to, you know, fucking or something like that. As if like this person, you're like, you don't know, this person could have a doctorate, you know, but like you're literally like reducing them to this person who is only, you know, good enough for your personal consumption or their body. And um it just frustrated me and it made me want to give sex workers a platform just to show their, you know, demen dimensions, dementiality. I don't know. Is that a word? Did I just make that up? <laughs> if it, um, yeah, there's so many. Yeah. I'm, like like, you're... I'm talking about how smart sex workers are. And then I just made up the stupid word. Thanks. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah, I feel like multidimensionality. Thank you. Thank you. It's getting into a big, uh, it's like multiplier by multiplier. Um, how would decriminalizing change kind of your day-to-day -day work life when, when you did work like that? And, and is any of that stuff in your head also like would that change or are you at peace with it? And you just have to like do this dance because of the criminalization or, or is it also kind of more convoluted up there just because like, you know, to law enforcement, you're not a legitimate business to the IRS. You are a legitimate business, but like, for most right. most of the society, you're you're currently still like locked out in, in the in the type of in in doing that work from just any other normal job. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's always in your head. You know, it's like um, it's like how much how much do I talk about? How much could this get me in trouble? Like, where you know where can I exist within all of this? And you know keep myself, you know, from getting penalized in some way. Um, you know, I think in terms of decriminalization, I'll say that I have been fortunate because I'm not um, a sex worker who is doing survival sex work, you know? Um, and I think that decriminalization is, is most beneficial for the people who um, are doing survival sex work and the people who are most marginalized, who are, you know, usually the targets of law enforcement when it comes to, you know, doing sex work or even just looking like you're doing sex work, which is traditionally black and brown people and also trans people. Um, so, you know, it's those type of things that like, you know, for instance, if um, somebody meets a client and you know, has a physical altercation with that client, like they can't call the cops. I mean, they can, but they're probably going to be uh, in trouble too, because technically what they're doing is illegal. So, you know, you have all of these kind of like actual physical harm in harm's way type things that 
can't be addressed because people's fear of, you know, um, backlash from the legal system. Um, so yeah, you know, there's, um, several, obviously several groups around the country. There's one in New York called Decrim NY who lobbies politicians to get, uh, sex work decriminalized and there's several um politicians who are you know very for it um i think one of the main ones in new york her name is julia salazar she's a senator in new york and um she advocates for decriminalization of sex work and so you know there are people and politicians out there who are you know in favor of this and i feel like you know the tide's turning the temperature's changing the years are progressing and people are you know starting to be more open about this and being able to talk more candidly about this and you know i can just you know hope that more people get involved and you know speak up and have this be a position that you know they add to the things that they want from their lawmakers you know right now it's like climate change it's black lives matter like add sex work to that list because it's important. It's important for a lot of people. And it's important for a lot of people um, probably that you know, but don't know that they're that they're doing it. You know, I think there's, you know, we all know a sex worker. Just don't know it. <laughs> that that's interesting the way you put it that way, that, you know, if if there is a crime committed against you, you're you're basically without protection. It really just takes away one more safety net that from our society. Yeah. Well, we also have to think about decriminalization is not legalization. You know, decriminalization kind of just, you know, can take away penalties, but technically mm -hmm. they're still saying like, don't do it. It's like the same with marijuana. It's like decriminalization of marijuana doesn't mean that in some places, most places that you can, you know, still, you're not supposed to be carrying around baggies of weed with you, you know, but if it's under a certain amount, you won't get in trouble, you know? Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't anticipate legalization, but I anticipate, I do anticipate in hopefully some of the more liberal bastions of the country laws can get repealed and start, you know, working in favor of sex workers. New York just repealed a law that's commonly known as like the walking while trans law which is, you know, a law that's like old and has like been set up to discourage street prostitution and basically like loitering. If there are people who are sex workers out on the street or something like that, you know, they can just get arrested even if they're not soliciting anybody. And typ typically or more often than not, the people who are getting arrested for that were trans people of color. And um, that law, you know, just got repealed. Um, so, you know, it's like a step in the right direction. You know, it's a lot of things that we're looking back on from the lens of, you know, this decade and finally starting to like come to a reckoning with it, whether it's like Me Too or any of these kind of things where we're kind of like, why, why did we allow this? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like we're, we're evolving at a rapid pace right now, socially and techn technologically and, um, and ethically. Um, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I think there's, and there's a strong push of like, of, of, yeah, just even evaluating like what role work should play in our lives. Like now that so many of us are working from home. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah. Um, yeah, this has been really great talking to you and I'm really 
happy and glad that you're making your podcast and that we got a chance to to talk to you and get uh, see more of your multidimensionality. Um, <laughs> yes, that is going to um, be the title of this episode. <laughs> multidimensionalness. Yep. <laughs> That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our guest this week, Tomic 2.0, interviewed by Russ Garofalo. I'm Caroline Craighead. Make sure you're following Brass Taxes wherever it is that you're listening. And join us next week for our very entertaining conversation with Miles Kane and Elizabeth McDonough. If you've ever worried about owing the IRS a lot of money, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Till then, you take it easy, all right?